Today we are reading from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Thanks, Poppy, and good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church. Thank you for joining with us today. We're about to start three weeks looking at the opening chapters in Mark's Gospels. Thank you for being with us this morning, and I hope you find this next few weeks really interesting. I want to start this morning by asking you to think about your favourite crime show. You might watch it on TV or on your phone or, or um, lots of different ways of viewing it, but what is your favourite crime show that you're into? Uh, perhaps it's Jake Peralta and the gang from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or maybe you're into CSI and uh, Gil Grissom or NCIS, or maybe you're into the kind of darker side of things, the Nordic screen shows like The Bridge or something like that. They're all a bit different, aren't they, those crime shows? Some of them are, are really funny, uh, some are really serious and a little bit dark at the same time. But they all have one thing in common, and that is that they're all looking for evidence and following the lead the evidence leaves behind. In the case of the crime shows, they're, they're looking for the perpetrator, they're looking for the whodunit conclusion. I want to suggest to you this morning that Mark's gospel is a little bit like a crime show. Because I think what Mark is doing, particularly in the early chapters of his gospel, is he's laying out paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of evidence. Now, in Mark's case, he's not laying out paragraph after paragraph of evidence looking to solve a crime, but rather he's placing evidence in front of us that we as readers would be able to draw conclusions about who Jesus is. I wonder this morning as we get into this gospel how you would answer the question of who is Jesus? How would you answer that question? There are lots of ways that you might answer that question. You might think of Jesus as a, as a good teacher. We often hear that. Maybe you think of Jesus as the person you should be like, as an example. 
someone to follow in that way. Maybe you think of Jesus as that, as a kind of a caricature, that the, the man with the white robe and the long beard and the flowing hair. And as you think about who is Jesus in your mind, I also want you to just have a think for a minute about where did you get those conclusions from? Maybe you think about him as a good teacher because that's what the world around us seems to say about Jesus. He's a good teacher. Maybe you follow him as an example because that's what grandma taught you to do. Well, that's maybe the way that you were raised. Maybe you've even read a few books about Jesus. Over the coming few weeks, I want you to see that Mark lays out for us rock-solid evidence of who Jesus is. And over the next few weeks or so, as we work through this gospel, I want you to see yourself as a kind of crime scene investigator. If it helps for you, you can think of yourself as Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's okay by me if you want to do that, as long as it's helping you to take these paragraphs, these words, as evidence as you consider who Jesus is. Now, Mark, as he's presenting his evidence, he doesn't often give us his answers to who he thinks Jesus is. But there is at least one point in Mark's Gospel where he gives us his conclusion. And surprisingly, he does that right up front. The very first few words that Mark says in this Gospel, he tells us who he thinks Jesus is. So if you haven't already opened your Bible to Mark chapter 1, I'd encourage you to do that now. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Verse 1, this is how Mark starts his gospel. He starts it essentially with his conclusion about who he thinks Jesus is. The beginning of the good news, Mark says, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So who does Mark think Jesus is? The Messiah, that's the promised one, the the long uh, hoped for, deliverer of Israel and the Son of God. Over the coming few weeks as we work our way through Mark's Gospel, I hope you'll see each paragraph as evidence that supports Mark's conclusion that Jesus is both the Messiah and the Son of God. Now, we looked at Mark's Gospel earlier in the year. Some of you might remember um, doing that. We, We there focused on three boat trips that the disciples took with Jesus. If you remember that series, you might remember that Mark was was not one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He wasn't one of those 12, but it is likely that he probably followed Jesus or at least had heard of Jesus or seen him. He may have been in the crowds at some point uh, looking on at Jesus. Now, let me show you some evidence of this. Come with me to Mark chapter 14. Uh, It's right near the end of Mark's Gospel account. In, In chapter 14, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, he knows that he's about to be put to death. He'd been praying there with his disciples. If you remember, they keep falling asleep. And then in verse 43, Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples, uh, he approaches Jesus uh, to betray him into the hands of the guards. There's a bit of a, a ruckus, a bit of a fight breaks out. One of the disciples draws a sword and cuts off someone's ear. And then we get to Mark chapter 14, verse 48. Verse 48 of Mark 14. Jesus says, Am I leading a rebellion? that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Here's what I want you to see. A young man 
wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, most of the scholars think that the young man who flees this scene is Mark, our author. This is his cameo appearance, so to speak, in this gospel. Now, that's correct, if that's correct, and it's just, it really is just speculation, but you'd wonder who else would uh, kind of put a little scene like that into the gospel other than if it was Mark. Um, if that is correct, then we see that Mark literally was following Jesus, if only for a few short minutes. But he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. And so a good question for us to ask then is, where does Mark get his evidence from? If his, if his job is to lay out paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of evidence for who Jesus is, where does that evidence come from? Mark writes as though he was there with Jesus and at times he writes as though he was right there amidst, in the midst of the disciples. How does he do that? How does he know what Jesus said when he was just speaking to the disciples? Well, it seems likely that Mark was a friend of the Apostle Peter, a companion of his, and it seems likely that much of what Mark tells us in the Gospels actually comes from knowing Peter and hearing Peter relate to him stories about what happened when he was with Jesus. In my mind, I see Mark listening to Peter intently as Peter recounted his experiences. Perhaps Mark had bits of sticky papyrus paper. You know, back then they didn't have post-it notes, so maybe he used sticky bits of papyrus paper. And every time Mark told him a story about what happened when he was with Jesus, he got out one of those sticky bits of papyrus paper and, and wrote it down. And kind of in my mind's eye, I see Mark's bedroom wall and it's covered with these bits of, of first century post-it notes. All the things that Peter told him about Jesus and what he did with Jesus. And over time, Mark collects, I think, hundreds of these bits of sticky papyrus paper on his wall. And his gospel account then is about him ordering those first century post-it notes and, and putting them together in a, in a flow that helps us to see the evidence of who Jesus is. Today we're going to look at just a few of these post-it notes of Mark's, a few of his bits of evidence. And that first bit of evidence is to do with a messenger. A messenger. Come back to Mark chapter 1. You might have um, opened your Bibles already. That'd be good. Come back to Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first eight verses of this chapter. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest there's lots going on in these first eight verses. Mark's slapped down in front of us a whole lot of evidence for us to see who Jesus is. 
But I also want to suggest that for us as Australians living in 2022, some of that evidence is not really easy for us to interpret. I'll try and explain this using sort of modern day crime stuff. Um, We take for granted today that blood left in a crime scene will help pinpoint the perpetrator of that crime. We have a couple of guys, Jeffrey Glassberg and Alec Jeffries, to thank for that because back in the 1980s, they developed what has become known as the DNA profiling system. That system, that DNA profiling, means that a droplet of blood can be connected to a specific person with a really high level of accuracy. Now, this technology has only been around since it was invented in the 80s. Before that, blood might have still been evidence at a crime scene, but it was hard to understand, hard to interpret that evidence. You needed DNA profiling technologies to be able to do that. For us today, the evidence of who Jesus is from these first few verses of Mark is also a little bit hard to understand, not because we're lacking technology, but because we lack the same understanding of the Old Testament that the original readers might have had. So I just want to spend a few minutes digging into the Old Testament with you. Bear with me because I think it will help you see the evidence for who Jesus is. There's lots of ways we could do this. We're just going to look at a few this morning. And I want you to want to start by drawing your attention to what John the Baptist was wearing. Did you notice uh, that Mark describes what John the Baptist is wearing? Do you think it's a strange detail that he would tell us what John the Baptist was wearing? I mean, most of the time when we're introduced to a character in the Gospels, we don't know what they were wearing, whether they had a blue robe or a green one. That doesn't tell us. But Mark tells us that John wore clothing made of camel's hair and that he had a leather belt around his waist. Now, fashions come and go, or for for most of us anyway, I seem to always be behind, but for most of you, fashions come and go, but even uh, taking into consideration what they might have been wearing in the first century, this seems like a strange bit of clothing that John was wearing. I want you to see that it's evidence for who John is. Let me show you. Come with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1 in your Bibles. If it's easier for you, it'll be on the screen behind me. In... in, um, In this chapter, uh, the king of the day, uh, the Jewish king, had injured himself. It looks like he's fallen out of his bedroom window, actually. He's in a pretty bad way and unsure whether he's going to live. So he sends some messengers off to go and consult a foreign god to ask whether he'll get better, I presume. On the way, these messengers meet a man. And that man sends the messengers back to the king. Let me pick the story up in verse 5. I think it's on the screen behind me. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, that's the king, why have you come back? This is what they said. A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So here we have a man speaking on God's behalf. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, so come back with me to Mark's Gospel. Here's some evidence for us to consider. John looks like Elijah, doesn't he? He looks like a prophet dressed of old. Why does that matter? 
do you think? Why does it matter that John the Baptist would look like a prophet of old? Well, again, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Come with me now to Malachi chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Messengers are are prophets, the most famous and influential, perhaps being Elijah. And here we see John the Baptist looking like Elijah. He looks like a prophet of old. Perhaps he is the messenger that will be sent ahead of the Lord who will come suddenly after him. See the evidence mounting up here. And it's not just Malachi that speaks like this. Mark quotes from Isaiah as well. In the other Gospels, these words are sometimes placed on the lips of John the Baptist. Here it's not so clear, but I think it's kind of implied. And so we have here John dressed as the messenger out in the wilderness, another bit of evidence, saying this, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Quoting from Isaiah. In ancient times, when a king came back from war victorious, the people would line the streets, cheering the king home, making straight paths for him to come in on. Over the last couple of weeks, we've we've kind of seen something a little bit similar to this. Maybe you've watched some of what's been happening over in the UK with people lining the streets as the new king walks in front of them. Of course, this time he's walking behind the queen's coffin change the scene from mourning to to cheering and you have a picture i think a little bit of what john is talking about here line up god is coming and when isaiah first wrote these words that mark is quoting he's speaking words of comfort to a people who would be in exile god had left the temple he was no longer dwelling in that same way with them and here are isaiah's words of comfort the lord will return to Israel, make straight paths for him. And it's John the Baptist who's now saying these words. The evidence is clear, isn't it? God's messenger is announcing that God's Messiah, the Son of God, is coming to be with them, make straight paths for him. Let's see, layer upon layer of evidence. And we're only one paragraph into the gospel so far, we've seen evidence. Here is the messenger, perhaps the fulfillment of Malachi. That messenger is proclaiming that God is coming to be with his people. Get ready for him, says the messenger. Just in case you thought John was the whole reason for the gospel, he goes on to say that's certainly not the case. The one that comes after him is far superior And who is that? Well, it's there in the very next paragraph, the very next bit of sticky papyrus paper in verse 9. Let me read on. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, the way Mark tells it, we might wonder a little bit about who actually saw heaven being torn open and who who got to witness the Spirit descending. Some of the other gospel accounts tell it, I think, slightly differently. Here it may be just that it's just Jesus who sees these things. 
Maybe the crowds and even John the Baptist don't see these things. But what is sure is that we as readers are given insight into what's happening here at this baptism. We see here very early on in the gospel a pronouncement that Jesus is the Son of God. And as as readers, this is a massive bit of evidence for us. These are the words of God the Father. I want you to see these happen at pivotal moments in the Gospel of Mark as well. Later in chapter 9, a kind of a halfway point in the Gospel, during the transfiguration of Jesus, we'll see another similar bit of evidence with God speaking about Jesus. And again, a similar thing happens at the end of the Gospel in chapter 15. Here in chapter 1, heaven is being torn open. Did you see that? Later in chapter 15, we'll see the temple curtain being torn and a Roman centurion will declare, surely that man was the Son of God as he looks at Jesus on the cross. Evidence, layers and layers of evidence, that's what I think is happening here. Evidence, this is no ordinary baptism. You know, a few months back here at church, we baptised little Asher. You might have been here that morning, you may not have been. It was a wonderful morning for us. It was a terrific celebration. Lots of great things happened. But let me tell you a few things that didn't happen. Heaven wasn't torn open at that point. Doves did not come down from the roof. And God did not speak audibly. This in Mark is no ordinary baptism, is it? Because Jesus is no ordinary person. He's the Messiah and the Son of God. Do you see what Mark's doing? Laying out his papyrus bits of paper, communicating to us evidence about who Jesus is so that we would come to a conclusion on our own. I hope by this stage Mark started to capture your attention. Who is Jesus and and what has he come to do? These are the questions I think we should be asking. We don't have to wait too long to see what Jesus thinks. If you come down to verse 15... Jesus speaks, and this is what he says. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So far, Mark has has already set the scene for us with respect to who Jesus is. and, And here he helps us to see what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Mark urges us as readers to to listen and to to take in these words and to respond to Jesus through repentance and belief. Here's the thing though, what what does this mean for us today? What are we to do with these words? Most of us will know the Gospel of Mark at least a little bit. Some of us will know these opening verses quite well. What are we to do with them today? Here's the first thing. I think these are confidence-instilling verses. Most of us have been followers of Jesus for some time, a few years, maybe a few decades. Some of us might have been following Jesus for most of our lives. That's a great thing if that's the case for you today. But do you ever wonder, perhaps in those not-so-good moments of life, do you ever wonder, have I made the right choice? we just come through a series looking at the book of Esther. And in Esther, we saw God's providential hand at work in the world. 
found that a really helpful book to be reminded that God's at work through all things in the world. And yet terrible things happen in our world still, don't they? We might wonder, how does this all work? Many of us might have times that we doubt or wonder, have we made the right decision? And I hope that these fifteen first 15 verses of Mark instill confidence in you. Because Mark is here laying out evidence. And all we need to do then is follow the evidence to arrive at the conclusion of who Jesus is. The Messiah and the Son of God. We're only 15 verses in, but that evidence is all pointing one way. Let me just remind you of some of that evidence. We have a messenger who happens to look like Elijah who precedes Jesus. The messenger knows who Jesus is. We see this most extraordinary baptism with heaven being torn open and God speaks, this is my son. And then when he speaks, Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom. There's even more we haven't covered in these 15 verses. But this far in, I hope that these verses give you confidence. Confidence to know that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. He's not just an accident. It's not like he was just a special man who had the gift of healing. And because he healed a few people and they got better, the kind of rumor mill started and it got out of control. And no, no, no. Look at the evidence. Our world says Jesus is maybe just a fairy tale, or at best he was a good teacher. Mark shows us the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And if he is that, then, then surely we should take his words seriously. One of the commentators that I've been reading in Mark, his name, his name is R.T. France, says, with the beginning of Jesus' ministry... A new era of fulfillment has begun and it calls for a response from God's people. The response is summed up in the twin imperatives of repent and believe. Two imperatives, repent and believe. Here's what I want you to go away thinking about this morning. This phrase, repent and believe, is it one that we just think about in our heads? It's just about kind of intellectually knowing those things. I don't think Jesus is just calling on his listeners to hear his words in their minds. He's not just calling us to do something with our heads. I think he's also calling for us to respond in body and in soul. He wants us to turn to him and to believe. Now today you might be here as someone who's just wanting to check out Jesus. If you're here for that reason, thank you for being with us. You've chosen to come for a great series as we look at the evidence for who Jesus is. Maybe you're here today and you've never really made a commitment to Jesus. And I want you to see what Mark's message is. Mark's going to take 15 chapters to fully expand and explain this. But in simplest terms, Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and he wants us to repent, turn away from a life in which we kind of rule ourselves and turn to Jesus and follow him. Allow him to be the one who rules your life. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and repent. 
Perhaps you've known Jesus for a long time now. As we start out on our journey through Mark's Gospel, it's worth remembering that Jesus' call to repent and to believe, I think, is not just something that we do once in our lives, or not just something that we do with our heads once. I think repentance and belief are fundamental things for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We need to keep reorientating ourselves as disciples by turning ourselves back to Jesus. We are, after all, only humans living in a broken and sinful world, and because of that, we're going to need to repent often, aren't we? Most Sundays when we get together, we say uh, the words of a prayer of confession. Some of, you, some of you like those more liturgical aspects in our services. Some of you tell me that they're the dullest parts of what we do when we get together. And that's okay. But we say these words each week because we need to keep turning back to Jesus each week. Today we've looked at just the opening verses of Mark's Gospel. I've encouraged you to see these verses as as like evidence. Evidence for who Jesus is. I've suggested that Mark kind of wrote these bits of papyrus paper and laid them out one after another. And he does that so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. You might not yet be fully convinced by that. Well, fortunately, we haven't even finished chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel yet. There's a fair bit more evidence for us to consider. We're going to do a bit more of that next week, so I hope you can come back and join with us as we keep looking at the evidence for who Jesus is. But right now, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for Mark's Gospel, and we thank you for uh, what seems to be the reason for him writing, that we would know who Jesus is, that he is the promised Messiah and that he is your son. Father, we pray that you would help us to see that and not be persuaded by what the world around us might think of who Jesus is, but keep turning us back to the evidence that you've given us and help our confidence to be boosted as we see that evidence on the pages in front of us. Father, we thank you that Jesus came bringing good news. And we pray that you would help us to be a church that continues to turn back to him in repentance and belief. Amen.